Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus of the law. My name is Basil Shirendao and I'm a guardian of the law for the evening. I'm about to give you the best of the law for this evening. Uh, and this evening we're discussing sexual harassment. Uh, we're doing, we are, we are discussing uh, quite an interesting topic that which we've been um, ducking and diving for so many years and for so many months. Particularly because most of the time sexual harassment is committed by, by a powerful, let me be particular, men uh, upon women. And I, I remember having a debate with one of my female friends, uh, Mbali Sibisi, who would have said that it's sexual harassment on women. <laughs> um, because of gender dynamics, I understand where that argument comes from. But the current f- uh, f- framework that we have legally uh, actually encompasses um, an equal gender structure whereby sexual harassment can be experienced by both genders or both sexes, even uh, sexual orientations. And the same with sexual, in fact, sexual violence in general, be it sexual assault, sexual harassment, and so forth. So this evening, we are probing into what is sexual harassment, where can you report sexual harassment, what does sexual harassment, uh, how, how, how do you identify when it is sexual harassment, and how to curb your behavior, not just as a woman, but also as a man. Um, we're looking particularly into our instit- the institutions that which we occupy uh, in our spaces um, in the university. But before we get into that, let's look into the legal hotspots of the week. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, legal hotspots. Welcome back, and I'm still your guardian of the law for the evening. Um, I'm glad that you've settled in, but far more importantly, we need to discuss what is it that which uh, is bothering all of us. And one of the things that are bothering us is the fact that uh, President Jacob Zuma is actually still launching his application in court um, to try and set aside the decision to prosecute him so that he doesn't get to stand trial. But in actual fact, one of the interesting updates this evening is that uh, the president has, or rather the former president has actually admitted that they, he will follow whatever decision that the court reaches, uh, even the decision that which may be reached uh, uh, about his legal fees, because apparently he's not he's he's not supposed to be paying his legal he's not supposed he's supposed to be paying his legal fees, but he's pushing the state to pay for his legal fees, and these decisions are made by the state attorney um, under no laws whatsoever, and we've we've made this argument on air. The, the current update is that he that they've admitted that they will abide by any decision with that which the High Court reaches. For our for our first story this week, we are looking at Henry van Breda. You remember that ever since the, the inception of this trial, ever since its bail hearing, I've been taking you through it. Ever since last year, in April, you'd remember me on air saying to you, in actual fact, I think Henry van Breda is going to go down. I even did an analysis of the steps uh, that which he, he walked down the stairs. You remember when we were talking about blood, 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 blood clots and so forth. I'll be, speaking, I'll be speaking about it again this evening. Uh, but we are looking at how he went down, who convicted him, and how. The, the second story is looking at the heists in general in the country. We have seen a recent high, hike in heists to a point of 120% uh, compared to 2006. And in actual fact, um, there is a writer who writes about how, why heists have increased, increased and where the, these criminals get these weapons and why it is the most lucrative criminal activity in the country currently. Uh, and what can be done and so forth. And I understand there are many who do have a lot of arguments on that. Uh, 
for our third story, we are looking at, at a decision that which was reached by the Labour Court in, in regards to processes at the CCMA, uh, or rather processes that were internal in, in, in dismissing employees. And the CCMA actually overlooked these decisions. The Labour Court uh, set aside the, those judgments of the CCMA. And I guess this, the fun part about this decision is that it concerns three employees. These are three separate judgments combined together because they were dealing with the same thing, procedural matters. And what makes this, these judgments quite interesting is that um, the judge actually settled the challenges with our current arbitration process of the CCMA. So, I mean, it, it has to be interesting for all of us who are employed and for those who are, who are employing. For our first story, we are looking at Henry van Breda. So he has been found guilty by the Western Cape High Court um, in the in the murder trial of his parents and his brother. Um, so he was he was this judgment was handed down by Siraj Desai, um, convicting him of three counts of murder, one of attempted murder, and one of defeating the ends of justice. So what he did is that he tried to cover up his his crime. It's actually called. Um, the fact after after or rather actions after the fact or the crime after the fact that's what it's called defeating the ends of justice uh, it also has its own criminal element to it and also increases the ju- the judgment on sentencing which we are bound to hear next week if it doesn't get postponed so one of the interesting aspects of this case is that obviously he pleaded not guilty for not for not using an axe uh, for for killing his parents as you'd remember and for also injuring his sister Mali and defeating the ends of justice, obviously. But he also claimed that intruders had entered their house um, in Stellenbosch in 2015 and that Mali survived the attack but sustained serious brain injuries and suffered from retrograde amnesia. So meaning that whatever that Mali was saying at the time was not true. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sincerely waiting for sentencing because I think that there are a lot of aggravating circumstances in this case. It's not that he it's not that he killed his parents using an axe which is which was cold-blooded premeditated it's also the fact that he was quite um he was he was quite he, he was he was not telling the truth he was totally lying and and on top of that he wanted to make everyone else seem like they are crazy that is not only disrespectful disrespectful to the justice system but it, it also it also lends itself to the very essence and integrity of the judiciary. And this is where the court has to increase the aggravating circumstances and make the sentence higher. But there are a bit of a bit of quotes from the judgment as I was reading, but also with the assistance of, of the media at hand. He's, he said that the judgment says that um, an ex would be a peculiar choice of weapon for a burglar or a thief to take along to the intended crime scene. Right, that is the first aspect because most criminals would rather carry uh, any other type of weapon, but he chose an axe. Um, and if the the intention of the intruder, intruders was to kill the occupants of the house, it would be senseless not to bring a weapon along, which was not found in the crime scene. The the fourth one, which was far more interesting, was that no evidence actually exists to indicate a specific motive for killing any of the family members, whether they were killed by an unknown intruder or the accused. 
but also the degree of violence displayed towards the decreased uh, victims in Mali seems to be too excessive. Therefore, it is inconceivable that an unknown perpetrator would gain entry to the estate and house with great planning and effort, seriously injure the entire family in that manner for no apparent reason, and flee again without taking obvious valuable items from the house. I mean, that <laughs> totally doesn't make sense. So it seems to be quite unlikely that Sasha, the family dog, would not have barked at intruders in the middle of the night. It is also unlikely that she would not have barked during the attack upstairs as it could not have been a quiet event in which her owners were involved. I mean, these quotes are quite interesting, uh, considering um, the, the level at which uh, criminals plan their crimes. But the problem is that there is no mark, there's no evidence whatsoever that there were, there were any third parties uh, in the yard or in the house. I mean, that for me is problematic. Uh, and I think that's why I'm inclined to agree with the judgment. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Henry von Breda must just go to jail. And it, I'm glad to once again seeing that the justice system has teeth or is, is at least trying to have, tre- to have teeth. The second story is that five men have actually been arrested in, bo- in the Boxberg heist. Uh, but apparently they, they claim that they were strangled, suffocated and beaten by the police. Um, it's a very interesting story uh, to the extent that there is a lady who writes, a, who's an author of a book called Heist, Annalise Bagers. She explains why South Africa is experiencing a surge in cash and transit heist. And she says that it's purely because criminals have, have actually noted that it's the most lucrative criminal activity because it's very easy. Right, uh, and also because they get too many weapons to commit the crimes, but it's also interesting that they were assaulted for lengthy periods because the police apparently wanted the truth about what is going on in general. They wanted the entire syndicate where they get these weapons and so forth. But I mean, one, it, it is it 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 is against the law to to torture criminals. Um, so I I'm, I'm, I want to see how that is going to turn out. Um, the, the final story is that um, the Labour Court has delivered a judgment in the matter of Satao with VCC Langen, a security and cleaning uh, close corporation, um, whereby the court shows its displeasure for a complete absence of prior procedure followed when dismissing employees. So therefore, there was a gratuitous dismissing of employees now and then, which was quite ne- willy-nilly, without an entire, without a proper unfair I'm sorry, without a, a proper fair pr- procedure. And that in itself is actually a violation of the law. Uh, and this went through to the CCMA. The CMA did not pick it up and it went on appeal to the Labour Court and the Labour Court picked it up. And so this gave justice to cleaners and to security workers who are at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to workers, but also who struggle a lot to get to get legal services. So that clearly shows the, the landmark as, as aspects of this aspect of this case. But also it boils us back to that issue of how cases get to go to these higher spaces only when there's a lot of money to push these cases. Uh, Law Focus listener, uh, those are our legal hospitals for the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to your point of legal information. You're still sitting with me, Basil Sharinda, your guide of the law for the evening. Uh, I mean, we are, st- we are discussing sexual harassment this evening. Um, and um, why, we, why are we discussing sexual harassment? One of our pre- prestigious law firms in the country called Equal Education has found itself in quite hot waters. Um, the department, um, the department of, of, of Education has actually released a report that 
sorry, the Western Cape has actually suspended, Western Cape uh, Department of Education has suspended Equal Education school operations after they've had sexual harassment claims. Now, Equal Education has done a lot of work in advocacy uh, in the education in, in the education sector along with uh, other law firms like Law, uh, law Resources Centre and so forth. And the kind of ground working, ground, groundbreaking work that they've done is cases like the litigation uh, sorry, the, the textbook litigation whereby they were able to get textbooks for students. But also cases like your, your Michael who passed on in a, a pet lettering, although they got assistance from Section 27 and so forth. So Equal Education has done a lot of work, but also particularly in sexual harassment. So now it turns out that the bosses in that, in the, or not necessarily the bosses, but the executive in that, in, in those, um, in the in, in the organization have been found to be allegedly sexually harassing um, other other members, and so there's there's so much authority. So what what actually lends itself quite interesting is that, um, or that also atta- touches attaches itself to Danny Jordan, who finds himself finds finds himself in a similar situation, and he's became worse because there's also a rape case that which is opened against him. So that's a string of sexual harassment that is done by executives. So there, there is a power dynamic to it, as you, you'll note. But I know experts are going to tell us more about that. But to bring it far closer home, you would note that our presenter of, of Science Inside, Ms. Elna Schutz, also has a similar account. And so she, she shares that story with us. And she says, oh, by the way, I was also sexually harassed in a, in, in a situation where I also actually felt trapped, but I felt helpless, which is an interesting story because that's somebody that we know, somebody that we relate to. We listen to her all the time on Science Inside. And, and this is what she actually has to say. And I, like so many women in South Africa and just people in general, have had quite a few sexual harassment incidences, either verbally or sometimes physically in some way. But there's one in particular that stands out that really shows you that you can feel quite trapped in these situations, like you can't leave. And in this case, I was physically trapped, so to say. So I had um, decided to do a tandem skydive with my brother for a big birthday of his. And uh, we had gotten our instructors and in a tandem skydive, you jump with somebody else who knows what they're doing. And you are at very close quarters with them. (laughs) You are literally attached to them, flying out of the sky with your life in their hands. That instructor decided this would be a great time to talk about my body in an inappropriate way and look at me in an inappropriate way while we were flying, like, like falling out of the sky. So I felt incredibly uncomfortable, but decided to obviously not say anything because I wanted to focus on where I was and what I was doing. But afterwards, that moment wouldn't let me go that he felt not only that he had the right to do that, but that he felt he was able to do that in a scenario where clearly I, I had no means of, of removing myself or even saying anything. And so about a a few days later, I sent his manager an email and I spoke to her on the phone. And at first, she didn't quite take it seriously. I was lucky enough that it was a woman um, because she did, after a while, take it quite seriously, um, as I'm sure many people would have. And she... uh, she decided to take it into her own hands without me asking her to because we weren't quite sure which person it was. I couldn't remember the name, um, neither could she. And so what she decided to do was put her entire team in a room 
and tell them my story as if it had happened at a different center. And then when everybody was outraged and all the men and all the women said, oh my gosh, well, you know, no man has a right to say this. He should be fired. She turned it around on them and said, well, there's somebody in this room. So pull yourself together. Um, so in that case, that's sort of where it ended. But I was very impressed that she took it up in her own hands, even though I wouldn't have done it in that way. Welcome back to your point of legal information. Still speaking to Basil Sharenda. Uh, Elna, we are thankful for for sharing your story, but also there, there is an interesting dynamic to, maybe not maybe not interesting. Interesting is quite an unfortunate term. It's, it's disgusting. I think that's the term I'm looking for. There's a disgusting element to it because... I mean, no matter how close you may be to a woman, no matter how how excited you may be in that particular moment, you do not have the right to comment on her body, especially without their com- without their consent. Um, but anyway, experts have more to say about that. Uh, on the line, we have Ms. Delia Makubeni, who is standing in for Ms. Crystal Dix uh, from the Vest Gender Equity Office. And she's going to have a conversation with us about what the Gender Equity Office has been doing with regards to sexual harassment. Ms. Delia, welcome to the show. Hello. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Ah, we are, we are. It's it's an honor. It's an honor to to be speaking to you about this. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. You find us speaking about an area that you would you 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 know more about. We're speaking about sexual harassment in, especially That's in right. in the spaces that we occupy. Um, for, for gender, especially because of our gender dynamics in society in, in general, but also mm-hmm. how they get so, how we get so clumbered in in, in closed spaces, be it at work mm-hmm. and so forth. I mean, can you please tell us what is sexual harassment? Okay, so we like to 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 um, categorize it under gender-based violence, which is more encompassing, right? So, um, but to deal specifically with sexual harassment, um, sexual harassment is any behavior or attention that is unwanted, that is of a sexual nature, right? But I mentioned gender-based violence. So that is any, okay, so we use violence and harm interchangeably. So that's any form of harm, any form of discomfort, that is on the basis of gender. So if someone makes you comfortable on the basis of your gender, so this can be gender bullying, this can be body shaming, it can be sexual harassment, etc., etc. Okay, I mean, to let me highlight the the the, the keyword. Is it mm-hmm. is it unwanted? Is that the keyword? Um. Well, yeah, it's a violation. It's unwanted. Sexual attention is fine. Sexual attention is fine, but when it's unwanted, it becomes a problem. So it becomes harassment immediately. The trigger aspect of it is that it must be unwanted. Immediately when the other party says, no, don't say that about my body, that's when it it automatically becomes sexual harassment. Exactly. And and so the second aspect is, is commenting on on people's body, so it does verbal. Am, am I correct? Mm-hmm. So it would be verbal. Body it, shaming. It would be touching. Right. And it would be body yeah. shaming. Hmm. That's right. It can even be online. So on a, um, online platforms, Facebook, Twitter, even on emails, mm. um, any form of harassment um, online 
can form part of e-harassment and we recognize that as an office. Okay. I mean, and so we, 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 we are asking you this question because one of our listeners asked that question. But there's also another another mm-hmm. listener who touches on very important issues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, who touches on very important issues, especially when it comes to sexual autonomy. She asks a, a couple of questions about, especially, she's speaking actually to male listeners, but I would love, I'd love you to engage it as, as an expert. And she's asking um, particularly... When does it start to become my body, and when does it stop to become your body? Can you, we're going to play that clip for you now? My question right. to the male listeners is: At what point is my body mine and mine alone? Um, at what point do you guys feel like you don't need to ask permission before you touch me? At what point do you see me for who I am? And not what you can do to my body or what I can offer you in terms of sex. Yeah, did you hear that question? Mm. Hmm. I mean, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Let me hear your comment. Okay. Let me hear your comment. Your body is always yours. Your body never belongs to anyone else at any point. No matter if it's a consensual relationship, no matter the type of commitment, no matter the type of union. Your body is yours and you have full autonomy at any point. And I think it's important that she asks the perpetrators or the men in this case that um, feel entitled. Mm. I think it's more a rhetorical question um, for men to reflect on um, what gives them that entitlement to our bodies. Mm. Yeah, I'm, mm. I mean, and so I'm, I'm sitting here as a man as well and, and I'm listening and I'm learning. She's saying that when do we when does it when do we draw this line we can be in a relationship but when do i say how do, how do i even get to a point as as basil Sharinda to say that you are my girlfriend therefore your body is mine how, like how how did we get there as a society and and maybe if we build from there then we'll be able to uproot yeah. the main problem mm. yeah i think when we start to understand how society is structured um, then we, we start to, to get the answers. So if we look at our institutions and how patriarchal they are and how patriarchy is embedded in every single institution, if we look, for example, in religion and how it portrays the gender dynamics, if we look at the family structure, how it um, enforces gender roles, how mm. it um, portrays the various role players and, and the, the, the sort of hierarchy that exists in all spaces in our society, right? We also see it um, institutionalized in institutions like high, higher institutions of learning, mm. like, that, like any university, like any school. It's very patriarchal in the way that it's structured, um, in the content that we're fed uh, or that we're taught. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think because society is deeply patriarchal and patriarchy is institutional, right? Mm. So it's structural things that, that feed into the psyches of the masses. We grow up being fed. So for example, um, a child is taught if a, if a little boy hits you at crush, it means he likes you. It's mm. things like that that instill these ideas of patriarchy and, and normalize this idea of violence. And so from there, we can work towards um, understanding why um, it's okay to some people to be violent or to be patriarchal or to be entitled to women's bodies because 
um, these institutions um, perpetrate that. Mm. And and so as somebody who who deals with these things every day, I mean, what is the process? Mm. Somebody reports to you, and then what does the gender equity office do? So the first point is that we're complainant-led. So if the complainant comes with a case, um, they report the matter, and then we take the director from them. So they can either... So we have various ways of dealing with the case. It can either, either be a formal case, it can be an informal case. In a formal case, it's a formal disciplinary procedure. So that has um, an investigation, a hearing process, and then disciplinary measures are meted out. Um, the informal process is usually, say, for example, someone passes up, um, an inappropriate comment and the complainant just wants us to speak to the perpetrator or wants a mediated meeting where everyone speaks about the matter. So it's, it depends on what the complainant wants. Mm. So now a, move a, from there. So a complainant launches, launches this complaint, but then the, yes. the, 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 the alleged com, uh, perpetrator denies everything. Mm-hmm. So what's the next step? Mm-hmm. It's very common for perpetrators to deny or alleged perpetrators to deny we have an investigation process um we have an investigations officer who does investigations and there's um investigation uh, we, we we gather evidence in various ways sometimes we have witnesses sometimes we use um cell phone evidence in the form of maybe sometimes WhatsApp conversation various ways of investigating mm. so, so we don't take your word for it right Mm. So, as, I mean, as as in any situation, even in the court of law, an investigation is carried out. Okay, so I mean, let's listen to our mm-hmm. one one uh, another voice note uh, that right. we've received from our listener. Um, no, no problem. I mean, the only thing that I have in mind about sexual harassment, I think it's only like concentrated like on women more than men, because if me as a guy can go to a police station and report that I've been sexually harassed. 90% is they won't take me serious. But if a woman would go to a police station and report that, and then they will take it serious. So I feel like they, there isn't any like um, quality here. So I think a society needs to be aware of that, that even men like are sexually um, harassed, even though it doesn't happen like on daily basis and stuff like that. And alluding to you um, from women um, point of sight is that what I think is, I think there are a lot of factors that influence that women end up being sexually harassed. First of all, okay, maybe I'll sound like subjective and stuff, but even the way they dress, you know, I mean, I believe in courtship behavior. If I see you in your short and stuff like that, naturally, like, I become quite attracted to that and stuff like that, you know. So I think the way um, women dress and stuff like that, it does lead to them end up, like, being exposed to such issues of sexual harassment. I mean, yeah, we've just listened to a gentleman saying two things problematic there, saying that... um, Mm -hmm. The sexual harassment current framework for, for, for is 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 gender is, is gender focused on women than men. Therefore, men mm-hmm. are, are pushed on the outskirts. Secondly, right. that in his view that the attire is a contributing factor to people being harassed. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what are your comments? Wow, there's a lot to deal with. So, firstly, it is unfortunate. Um, 
gender-based violence is not discriminated. So everyone faces gender-based violence. It's, everyone, it's, all, it's, a, it's all of our issue, right? All mm. of us face it. All of us are affected by it. Um, and it's unfortunate that there is a stigma attached to it when it comes to men because we have a certain kind of masculinity that's prescribed, that's prescribed which is very toxic, right? So society prescribes a certain brand of manhood. And, and so if you stray from that, you are considered not man enough, you are ridiculed, you are laughed at when you come and report that mm. um, perhaps a woman has beaten me up or a woman has raped me. Mm. So that just speaks again to toxic masculinity and these embedded ideas of what patriarchy means and what it means to be a proper man, right? Mm. But then moving on to to the second comment, and um, to, to, to say all of this, I'm not trivializing the fact that uh, men are... Uh, facing gender-based violence. Um, but uh, I will point out that as an office, we take every single complaint seriously. But also just to note that the overwhelming majority of complaints in the VITS community comes from women, mm. all right? But mm. to move on to a second point of the hypersexualization of women. So what he's doing really is hypersexualizing the mm. woman's anatomy mm. um, and policing our bodies, right? Mm. And, and this points to victim blaming. When a woman comes out and speaks out about having been raped, the first question we ask is, what were you wearing? Where were you? Um, and, and this is just the perpetuation of rape culture. It normalizes this idea that rape is something that's supposed to happen were you behaving in a way that was inviting of it, right? So we need to move away from these ideas that police women as opposed to hold men or, or hold perpetrators of gender-based violence accountable. Um, yeah, that's all I can say about that. Ah, thank you. You know you know what, Ms. Dilia Mankowain, uh, listening to yeah. you right now, I didn't only learn a lot, but I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm twitching my fingers and I'm quite excited because you're making quite valuable points and I would have loved to take this conversation further but unfortunately I have to stop it right mm-hmm. here that was Ms. Dilia Mokubani we're always open to engagement thank you so much for having us okay thank you for your invaluable contribution this evening alrighty have a good evening bye you're listening to Law Focus listening to Law Focus connect with Valfam 88.1 on Twitter and Facebook be your own lawyer Welcome back uh, to your point of legal information. Let me put this sexual harassment into context with the law because we're about to speak with the lawyer. First, it starts in the the Constitution. Everyone has the right to Section 10, which is their right to dignity, and Section 12, which is their right to to, to physical integrity, and also into context with Section 9, which gives them the right to equality on the basis of their gender. Right? Section 9 gives you legislation. It gives you the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act, which tells you that in Section 12, people are not supposed to be discriminated on the basis of gender. And particularly tells you that outside of the workplace, when someone is, is sexually harassed, it's automatically unfair discrimination. Then in the workplace, the Employment Equity Act provides you with Section 6 and Section 5. Section 5 tells you that employ- employees and empl- employers have the right, uh, actually have the duty to eliminate all forms of unfair discrimination, right? And then in Section 6.1, gives you other forms of, of unfair discrimination like race, you know, when somebody calls you a kafir at work, things like that. The employer has a duty to make sure that those kind of things can go um, um, uh, unpunished, right? And one of those grounds, you have 16 grounds in the Employment Equity Act 
Act, Section 6, Subsection 1. One of those grounds is sex, is gender, is sexual orientation. But Section 6, Subsection 3 gives you um, sexual harassment as a form of unfair discrimination automatically. So meaning that automatically Section 5 and, and Section 6, Subsection 3 of the Employment Equity Act places a duty on the employer to remove or rather to deal with it internally or to take it all the way to the CCMA should there be sexual harassment at the workplace. And that's why you have here at VETS, you have a policy of, of unfair discrimination whereby when there is sexual harassment, the university has to do something about it. And that's why they have an office that is the Employment Equity Act. Should VETS University not have an office that is the Employment Equity Office, uh, VETS University would be taken to court and it would have been in the violation of Section 5 and Section 63 of the Employment Equity Act. Now that's where it's sitting at the law. And then now you have policy. Then you must implement policy. Should you fail to implement policy, then that matter can be taken all the way to the CCMA, Labor Court, and then all the way to the Constitutional Court should there be a need. But right now, we are going to speak to Mr. Theo Mapeto, uh, one of my favorite lawyers uh, from Mapeto Attorneys. He's a founding partner. Uh, he has quite some interesting views in general about the law, about gender violence. And right now he's going to talk to us about sexual harassment. Mr. Mapeto, thank you. Mr. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's an honor Thank to have you. Thank you very much. It's an honor to Indeed. have you. I mean, before Excellent. before I start with our interview, I wanted to listen to uh, this lady um, in, in, in question two. He's go- she's going to ask a very, very important question to everyone. And it's interesting that you are a man and I'm a man and we're sitting on this table as two lawyers. And let's yes. listen to this lady. My question to the male listeners is... At what point is my body mine and mine alone? Um, At what point do you guys feel like you don't need to ask permission before you touch me? At what point do you see me for who I am and not what you can do to my body or what I can offer you in terms of sex? Yeah, did you hear that lady? I did, I did. And and so before before we talk about this lady, I want you to listen to uh, this gentleman. Comment number one. He, he he has a very interesting comment. Hello, I mean the only thing that I have in mind about sexual harassment, I think it's only like concentrated like on women more than men. Because if me as a guy can go to a police station and report that I've been sexually harassed, ninety percent is they won't take me serious. But if a woman would go to a police station and report that, and then they will take it serious. So I feel like they there isn't any like um, quality. Yeah. So I think a society needs to be aware of that. That even men like are sexually um, harassed, even though it doesn't happen like on daily basis and stuff like that. And alluding to um, from human um, point of side is that what I think is. I think there are a lot of factors that influence that women end up being sexually harassed. First of all, okay, maybe I'll sound like subjective and stuff, but even the way they dress, you know, I mean, I believe in courtship behavior. If I see you in your short and stuff like that, naturally, like, I become quite attracted to that and stuff like that, you know. So I think the way um, women dress and stuff like that, it does lead to them end up like being exposed to such issues of sexual harassment. Mr. Mafeto. Yes. <laughs> welcome to Law Focus. <laughs> I, I feel welcome. Thank you very much. I mean, we, we, we listened to a lady talking about when does it, where do, when do we draw a line that, okay, this is now it's my body and when does it become your body? You know, she's asking that question, that yes. as a woman, it's my body right now. 
So when does it become your body and stop being my body? Yes. Well, well, I, I thought you would start with the with the gentleman's question uh, because it's it's probably the most offensive thing that I've heard this uh, uh, today. Um, but but just to answer your question uh, directly, the 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 question of abuse of women is um, uh, probably one of the most important questions that we have to discuss in this day and age. Mm. It has to start with the culture of entitlement on the part of men who for some reason think that they are entitled to, to women's bodies. And, and of course, it then escalates into all sorts of uh, uh, problems uh, that, that we have seen. I, 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 I can't say any, any more about the, the examples of women who have found themselves some of them dead, some of them abused, um, in, and some, some of these stories are in the media for mm. all to see. But um, the, a woman's body belongs to the woman. It doesn't belong to anybody else. In fact, to take it higher, mm. even in the instance where the woman herself is married, it doesn't, the body doesn't belong to the husband. Mm. It belongs to the woman herself. And I think that message has to be clear because the law protects every person. Mm. Um, um, and, and this includes bodily integrity. So, so, so if, for instance, somebody feels that they, they are violated, they have to make sure that they approach law enforcement agencies as, as soon as possible. Mm. I, mean, I mean, thank you for that comment. So she, she asked that question, and then therefore we listened to a gentleman saying, oh, by the way, uh, this framework that we have of, of sexual sexual harassment currently has has put us in the periphery and has made m- women more important. Well, we, we're talking about women precisely because they are um, the most affected mm. and the most marginalized in this instance. That is not to exclude the possibility that men and the and the real the real possibility that men are. Uh, abused, mm. but if you look st- statistically, it's more women who are at the receiving end of physical and other forms of violence. So, so it's, so it's important to put that under the magnifying glass if we have to solve this problem that we have. Mm. And and so he also speaks about attire. He says, "Oh, by for me, when women wear in a certain way, that's why they get sexually harassed." Well, sociologists and psychologists will speak to that. Um, you know, you, you, this concept that, that men are sort of children who can't control their emotions has to be dismissed with the contempt that it deserves. Mm. Uh, men are, are adults, are human beings. They should be able to control themselves, even if, uh, to put it, uh, to put it uh, flippantly, even if a woman was to walk naked, no man has to has a right to 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 her body. In whatever way, no comments In whatsoever, no touching, no coming closer without consent. No comment whatsoever, because um, if you look at the the definition of harassment mm. in in our law, it encapsulates all sorts, all all manner of conduct, including just verbalizing a comment that may very well be interpreted as harassment. 
so 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 men have to be to be, to be very very careful. In fact, every person has to be very careful about what they utter in the presence of other people. I mean, Mr. Mapeto, you are you are a partner at, at a law firm, and I would imagine that your law firm is actually doing well in in gender balance. <laughs> I would imagine that you are hiring both men and women, and that yes. you get to engage with women all the time. Yes. And having heard about what figures like um, Danny Jordan have done and other figures from equal education. Allegedly. For, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Yes. Allegedly. Thank you for that. And and also from equal education, alleged, allegedly as well. And yeah. and as somebody who is in a position of management or executive, um, what advice would you give to upcoming executives or executives who are already in place um, with regards to the, the kind of power that they have, as you've identified, male entitlement, how to handle that, and also especially intertwined with their executive control? Well, well firstly, um, it's, it's incumbent upon uh, employers to uh, develop a policy or procedure that deals with uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. Um men who are in powerful positions or in, in executive positions will do very well to to make sure that they, are, they they adhere to the policies of their respective workplaces but the the most important thing is to make sure that one does not find oneself abusing the position of power mm-hmm. all too often sexual harassment in the workplace arises where you have power relations, skewed power relations. It's powerful people who feel that they are uh, too powerful to be, to be arrested, who feel that they can get away with anything, and, 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 and who then start uh, behaving as, as they please. It, it would be important that men and women who find themselves in powerful positions keep their conduct in check, mm. lest they find themselves in the on the wrong side of the law but i mean i mean um i don't have enough time but i'm i'm actually quite inclined to do this i want you to listen to comment number two um as he tells us his story it's a very interesting story basically i think sexual harassment is like completely out like completely and the funny thing about it is that it, it, it's also done in a subtle way you know um where guys think that they because of this whole thing of thinking that they're owning our bodies and whatnot you know so guys feel that they've got um a right to sort of like tap your ass i mean because already that is sexual harassment um so it doesn't really have to be deep for it to be sexual harassment but the fact that you're touching my body in places that you're not supposed to or places that i don't feel comfortable then that is sexual harassment I've been sexually harassed. Yeah, I know. It was very traumatic and uh, I don't wish it to happen to anyone, even my worst enemy. But uh, it's a nightmare that I'm clear that I'm over with and uh, I think cancelling. So, yes, it was really bad back then. The, the thing is, uh, the person that was sexually harassing me has got the authority, so he'll get away with that anyway. So, I'd rather not. I mean, um, Mr. Mapeto, we, we listened to two people there. We listened to a lady being very raw about it, saying that don't tap my ass. Straight to the point. Yeah. Um, and we also listened to a gentleman who speaks about, and he says he he will get away with it. So he was sexually harassed by a man who was yes. in authority at the time. Yes. Well, well, I'm, I'm sure you can tell from from his voice the the deep pain that 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 the man is feeling, that the poor man is feeling. Um, it 
it, it often is a case that sexual harassment leaves deep psychological scars on, on victims. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm saying victims advisedly because I don't really like the word victims because it presupposes that people are helpless. Mm. So let's let's call them let's call them complainants in, in this instance. So it, it it tends to leave deep psychological scars and emotional scars on 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 complainants. Mm. But the the first comment is telling because the the lady um, um, uh, states that sexual harassment is not only physical, which is right, which is absolutely spot on. Sexual harassment is anything that that encapsulates unwanted conduct of a sexual nature so as i as i said uh, in my introductory remarks it includes verbal uh, communication it includes uh, unwelcome gestures it includes indecent exposure and unwelcome display of sexually explicit pictures and objects and so on and so forth so it's it's, it's quite a an sort of an all-encompassing definition of sexual harassment that the law has provided for the protection of uh, of complainants so so if mr mapeto we are we are at the workplace and i walk to my producer with the cell phone of probably pornography on it uh, and i'm like oh look at this so that would be sexual harassment that that would be sexual harassment particularly if it's unwelcome or unwanted so you are saying um, that the trigger aspect of it is that there must be there mustn't be consent so if if it's not welcome that's when it automatically becomes sexual harassment yeah precisely because the law has no way of getting into the uh, 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 consensual sort of arrangement between two adults if if you are two adults and you consent to it then the, the law pretty much has, has no role to play Except, uh, and this I have to add a caveat, except where an individual is in a powerful position. Uh, people would, would, would be very careful to ensure that they are not involved in all, in, in all manner of relations, um, romantic relations with their subordinates, because that may, may very well uh, border on sexual harassment. So, and, and I mean... Thank you for that comment. But to also, let's put it into, into context for our listeners. So what the, where does it fall in the broader framework of the Constitution? Where does sexual harassment fall? Well, uh, um, if, if you look at Section 9 of, of the Constitution, it, it talks about uh, the discrimination. Um, so you have all a manner of grounds that are listed um, where, which, which are prohibited by the law. The um, the lawmaker has also gone beyond the constitution and has enacted a piece of law called the uh, Protection from Harassment Act. Uh, this this law was uh, enacted in 2011. It provides a a broad definition of harassment and and then it details the procedure that has to be followed when a person feels that they have been harassed. But would that would that also be in the context of of the workplace or? Well, well, in, in the workplace, you have the Employment Equity Act that uh, that is an a, a, an immediate piece of legislation that a, a a victim or a complainant may may follow. 
But the Protection from Harassment Act is an all-encompassing act. It also includes workplaces. Uh, it includes um, the the context where a stranger, for instance, mm. um, is is a perpetrator, and 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 so on and so forth. So it's it's a it's quite a, a flexible and like I said, an all-encompassing piece, piece of legislation. So would the Protection of Harassment Act be read with the promotion of equality and prevention of unfair discrimination? Act? Indeed, indeed. Okay, indeed. But, but let's get into the, practi- the practicality issues now. I mean, how how do you go about proving that when I was walking down Bree, uh, there was a taxi driver who, who who commented on on my body, on my buttocks, to be precise? How would you go about getting that into... Well, 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 well your question speaks to, to evidence. Mm. Um, it's not unique to that example, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a general question that speaks to evidence that has to be presented in court. Um, the, our, our courts um, accept that a person's testimony, if given truthfully will be accepted by 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 by, by the court um, it's always preferable just to 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 give context it's always preferable when there are witnesses because it may very well be unfortunately at times it may very well be your work against against theirs so if if a witness has um, has seen this kind of harassment it's important to take their details so that they will be able to testify on your behalf in, in court, um, but uh, but before you get to that, uh, you you in terms of the protection from harassment act are permitted to are at liberty to approach the uh, the the court to apply for a protection order, um, which if um, if if the facts so warrant may may be given against the perpetrator. Okay, I mean, I mean, the International Labour Law Organization has went into depths trying to come with um, mechanisms to to advise companies to to have transparent windows for 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 bosses, or rather for the executive. But now, in instances where you have a closed door, the sexual harassment happens behind the closed door. Where it's only the two of you, and so now this person goes and reports it, and there's no witness. It's only the two of you who saw it. And so now, how would you go about that? Because I think there's also the cautionary rule here as well applying. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, 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 obviously the, the, the cautionary rule is a, a rule that seeks to protect um, uh, people who are accused of, of a crime. Um, you see, the, 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 the particular problem about uh, offenses of this nature is that they, they, they often happen in in, in closed doors. In very personal uh, spaces. Mm. Uh, very, very personal in, and intimate spaces. But you see, the issue of credibility is, is of paramount importance. Mm. Um, if you have genuinely been abused and you know that you have been abused, nothing prohibits you from, from approaching the courts. And the presiding officers in court are trained and are experienced in evaluating evidence. So if, if the perpetrator, for instance, is lying and wants to get away with it, uh, he, might, he might very well find himself unsuccessful. So 
Sure. So there are many cases um, that I personally have dealt with where um, um, the the accused person has been found guilty despite despite uh, the the offence uh, occurring in in private and uh, and intimate spaces. So it, it does happen. The fact that it's between two persons away from the public eye does not does not really detract from from the enormity of the offence. Mm. Um, Mr. Mapeta, I would love to take this conversation further, uh, but unfortunately I've, I've reached my, the, the end of my time. Uh, thank you for your invaluable contribution this evening. We've learned a lot from you. Much appreciated. You're listening to Law Focus. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. Um, this is the show that brings you um, le- legal arguments straight to your ear. Like any other great thing, also this one still has to come to an end. Uh, but we've had a great show. We've, we've been speaking about sexual harassment. I mean, we've had a chance to uh, speak to Ms. Dilia Makubane from the Gender Equity Office. We've had a chance to speak to Mr. Theo Mapeto, who's a founding partner at Mapeto, Mapeto Attorneys, who's been, an act, who's been quite active in litigating uh, sexual harassment cases. Uh, we've we've spoken quite broadly about when and how someone can report sexual harassment. We've spoken about where it falls within um, the, the 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 legislation, within the legal framework, within the legal context. We, we've also had an opportunity to actually bring into context uh, people's experiences, and one of the experiences that which formed quite a pivotal part of the entire show was the experience of our own presenter of Science Inside, Miss Elna Shoots, who actually speaks about her story about when she was sexually harassed. Uh, and in that context, she speaks about how she felt trapped and how she couldn't do anything about it. Uh, one of the fundamental things that which Ms. Dilia Makubane actually highlights is that uh, in, 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 our, in, our, in, our, in our society, we have a history of patriarchy, male entitlement, and Mr. Mopeto actually touches on it. And that they actually touch on it purely because uh, we had uh, one of our listeners who sent us a WhatsApp voice note asking quite a pivotal and important question and this question was when does it start when when does it stop being a woman's body and start being a man's body and this question actually touched on sexual autonomy but also touched on our very essence of uh, hypersexualization of women's bodies and and so this became actually the pivotal aspect of the entire show i would like to argue strongly that if anything we've all learned so much from that one question because that question actually uh, connected with many other questions and the other the other question or comment that which connected to was was of the other gentleman who actually stated that uh, most women get sexually harassed purely because of what they wear which was interesting because i mean if someone's body is purely a physique uh, should it matter what they are wearing and what they are not wearing? In fact, Mr. Theo Mapeto states that it never becomes or you never have, you never have any right to comment on any other person's body or to touch it, even if they are naked. So, and then from that, you get to understand that in actual fact, he states later, this gentleman, that um, the current framework that we have actually places men at the periphery and is quite female-centric. But we also have a story of, of a gentleman who actually got sexually harassed and we played it on air. And we listened to him tell us how, how the power dynamic actually played between him and his, his ex- executive employer, uh, who was in a position of, of, of privilege. And that is how he got to sexually harass him. And he didn't report it because he knew that this, this executive uh, was going to get away with it. Clearly, there's still a lot that we need to learn about sexual harassment, about our understanding of sexuality, about our entitlement, particularly as a man speaking on the show. 
um, the show has actually not delivered a lot of a lot of information, but actually opened room for self-reflection, which is something that I'm sending out there to each and every one of you, Law Focus. Listen, I'm saying that let's think about it. Let's think about sexual violence on on women's bodies. Let's think, let's think about sexual violence on children. Let's think about our understanding of our own sexuality, about hypersexualization, and um, yeah. <laughs> patriarch in, in general uh, but I mean I, I can I can say so much the show can only do so much but the conversation still has to linger on uh, between you we have done our best here in studio to bring you the best that we can uh, all thanks to Mr. Theo Mapeto uh, from Mapeto Artunis all thanks to uh, Ms. Dilia Mokomakobana from Gender Equity Office all thanks to all our listeners who, who have actually sent us voice notes uh, but I mean from uh, Ms. Uh, from Ms. Dia, Ms. Bulali Diakopu, who's our producer. We send our sincerest thank yous uh, from our uh, technical production, uh, Mr. Kutwano Gwinch Serami. And from me, Bezel Shirinda, it's law, it's serious. Good evening. Law Focus Podcast.